Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the time. We thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to worship you. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you would just bring this word to our heart. And we'll give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, last week before we began church, uh, I asked everyone that was here, if they would, to write down at least three fears in their life. I felt like we got an overwhelming response of honesty and transparency. And um, I sort of categorized as best I could without revealing anything personal that some folks wrote. And there was uh, some things that stood out more than others, like abandonment, isolation, fear of the future, sickness, death. Am I good enough? Do I meet God's expectation? And so I studying this week and praying and asking the Lord, okay, where do we go from here? Well, I believe the Lord gave me this sermon, Defeating Fear. And if you listen very closely from God's word, I think you're going to learn a few things this morning that you never realized before because that's what happened to me this week, studying. I want to begin with two words. Worry and fear are unholy twins that plague people daily. I told you last week that in order to defeat an enemy, you have to identify who the enemy is. Or else you're just beating the air. You're wasting your time. You're hoping for the best. And the best doesn't come. The best comes through God's word. So let's define some of the enemies. And one of the enemies is worry. And it means to feel uneasy or concerned about something. I want you to really digest this because this is the foundation of the sermon. To feel uneasy or concerned about something, to be troubled, to cause to feel anxious or distressed. This is very important. To focus the attention on something moodily and at length. To dwell to fret, to mope, and to brood. So let me just say this. These fears are unholy. They're unhealthy. And if you don't recognize, for example, mood changes in your life, which is spiritual activity, Because fear, I'll show you, is a spirit. It's not a figment of your imagination. It's not a nebulous gas. Fear is a spirit. It's a demon. And you have to watch during the course of a day your mood swings. And you have to ask yourself a question. Why is my mood changing? What happened to me in this moment that I'm fretting, I'm brooding, I'm moping, and I'm in a bad mood. You hear people say that all the time. Don't bother me, I'm in a bad mood. Well, what it really is is a spirit that's ministering to you. So that's worry. Now what's fear? Fear is a feeling of great agitation and anxiety Caused by present or imminent danger. It's a feeling of disquiet or apprehension. It means to be afraid or frightened. It means to be uneasy, apprehensive about something. Fear actually equals dread. So, 
the Lord took me to Mark chapter 4, verse 34. You know, we sometimes think God doesn't care. We sometimes think, oh God, where are you? Why aren't I healed? Why did you not prevent this situation? Hmm. Mark chapter 4, verse 34. But without a parable, spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. You know, sometimes God wants to get you alone. And the same day, when the evening was coming, he said unto them, listen to the words, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind. This was a tempestuous wind, a hurricane. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, even after the wind was stilled and calm, and said to one another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus orders the disciples to get into a boat, and he declares unto them, let us, that's important, pass over to the other side. Let us go from point A to point B. Now this is a fundamental and simple concept and thought, but what a great revelation. If Jesus says this to us, let us, he goes with us. I think that might have flew over your head. A great place to say amen. If he says this to us, get in the boat, knowing that a storm was going to come, he goes with us. They went in with a calm sea, but it turned out to be a raging sea. The message here is this, prepare for the storm. <laughs> Prepare for the storm. Jesus was asleep, but in control. God tries our faith. He tries our patience. And when deliverance comes and the sea gets calm, we should really appreciate that moment. The disciples cried, we perish and accused Jesus of not caring for them and saying, Master, carest thou not that we perish? That's kind of like us, isn't it? We accuse God, you didn't heal me. You accuse God, you didn't give me the financial miracle. God, you didn't take care of this. We accuse God. And we indict God with no evidence. Because he's still in control. We must bring our fears to God because it's his business to calm the storms of life. You see, we think it's our business. We begin to write a plan, 10 ways on how to get out of this situation, 10 ways to fix this situation. We go to bookstores and we try to find books that tell us Ten things that we can do. And we're really wasting our time. Because now we're in control of our own destiny. And we alone are looking for our own answers. When God says, if you just stay in the boat. If you just stay in the boat, I'll speak to you. 
He desires to do this. And he takes great delight when we allow him to intervene. Jesus calmed the storm, but questioned the disciples about their faith. Here's the question. What happens to our faith when storms come into our life? That's a good question. What happens to our faith? And the second thing is this. Personally, what is your storm? What is your storm? Loneliness? Sickness? Finances? Abandonment? Isolation? Fear of future? Failure? Fear of success? Some people sabotage their own success because they don't think they deserve success. Some people are afraid of failure, will never step out, and so on and so forth. Ask yourself a few questions this morning. What happens to your faith when the storm comes? What happens? And can you identify the storms in your life in terms of fears? When the storm comes, ask yourself this question. Has anything changed? Follow the thought. God still loves you. You're still forgiven. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. God is in control just like he was five minutes before the storm came. Oh, come on now, people. Are you hearing what God is saying here? God is in control just like he was five minutes before the storm began. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We change. Because there's two things you have to look at. What is your reaction to the storm? And then, what is your action? Mm. Think about it. He's still God. He's still on the throne. He still loves you. Love has not changed for you from God, by God, because you're in a storm. He loves you just the same as he did five minutes ago. Here's a thought. You always hear me stay in the pocket. A quarterback on the football field. Let those big men, linemen, when there's a pass play, form a cup around you. It's a cup of defense. It's called a cup. And when the quarterback steps up into that pocket, into that cup, if they do their job, those linemen will protect him so he doesn't get crushed and he can throw the pass and complete it. Amen? Amen. Spiritually, God says, stay in the secret place of the Most High God. Psalm 91. Stay in the secret place so that God's cup, so that God's defense, so that God's angel armies. Come on, my friends. Help me preach here this morning. And you stay in that cup and you stay in that secret place. Hallelujah. You'll be able to say this. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. And the Lord will bless his people with peace. God rides the flood. He's ridden that flood many times in our lives. I love Psalm 29.10. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. And trust me, I've gone there many times. Because it's his job. It's his job. We try to force it and make it our job. Instead of praying for the wisdom and knowledge of God from above that's peaceable and gentle. We run out of the pocket, so to speak. And we run for our lives with our own wisdom thinking, I can get away from those big guys. I can get away from that demon spirit. All I have to do is get out of the pocket, leave the secret place of the Most High God, and I'll be okay. And guess what happens? You get crushed. So here's the thoughts that the Lord gave me. And I want you to follow this closely. We need assurance as Christians. I don't care who you are. I don't care how strong your walk is with God. You're going to get rocked at times. 
Everybody needs assurance and reassurance. And the way the Lord started leading me in this sermon was sort of uncanny. It was like, okay, what's the message here? Follow this message. First of all, he is the all-knowing and ever-present God. Amen. The Lord took me to Psalm 139 in verse 1. And it says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sinning and mine uprising. Look at the words. Thou understands my thoughts afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Look at verse 5. This is what just struck me. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Look at the word beset. It's, this is the King James Version. I'm going to read you a few other versions to drive a point home. The word beset means, and, and the, the word here says, behind and before me, it means simply to surround me. So this is God's loving care. This, this is God's all-knowing, ever-present presence in our life. So first of all, you have to put into your spirit that I'm surrounded by God. Amen. Come storms, hell or high water, I'm surrounded by God. Amen. So then I, I did a little study. And I said, okay, what does the other version say? Is there anything different concerning this word beset me? So I went to Psalm 139.1 again in the ESV version. It says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Look at verse 5 now. Instead of using the word beset in the ESV version, it says this. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. What's this mean? What does it mean to hem me in? It means to enclose. It means to encircle you. It means to confine you, praise God, surround you and restrict you to stay in his presence. To me, that was like, okay, that's, that's, that's pretty rich. Lord, do you have anything else? So I went to the Psalm 139, verse 1 in the HCSB version. And it says, you have searched me and known me. You, have, you know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. Look at verse 5. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. What does it mean to encircle? Again, it means to surround. But the word encircle means to border. God borders you in. He encloses you. He restricts you. He puts a boundary around you. He sets the limits. You're in his care. You're in his circle. You're in the cup. You're in the secret place of the, the most high guard. It means to mark. It means to girdle. You know, it keeps you in. It means to encompass you. It means to bring you and surround you. It means to hem you in. I say, okay. Do you have anything else? So I went to another version, the message version. And it says this in Psalm 139.1. It says, God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Look at the word now. Your reassuring presence Coming and going. Listen, beset, hem me in, encircle me. And now he says, 
your reassuring presence coming and going. What does that mean? God's reassuring presence is his comfort. It's his support. It's his encouragement. It's him cheering you on. That's what it means. It means soothing you and calming you. Now we're talking about fears and all this stuff coming against us. It means to uplift you. It means to set your mind at rest and restore confidence. Great place to say amen. Let me read that again. To set your mind at rest. You see, when all these things are coming against you, you're trying to figure out how you're going to solve this. You're trying to get back to tranquility and serenity. (laughs) But God says, listen, my reassuring presence is in your life. Don't you see that? Don't you realize that? And I want to set your mind at rest and restore your confidence. How many people go around saying, I'm just not a confident person? I, have, I don't have any confidence. What does that mean? When God wants to restore confidence to us. So I said, Lord, you have to have maybe just one more thing. So I went to Psalm 139, verse 1 in the YLT version. Jehovah, thou hast searched me and knowest. Thou, thou hast known my sitting down and my rising up. Thou hast attended to my thoughts from afar. My path and my couch thou hast fanned. And with all my ways hast thou been acquainted. For is not, there is not a word in my tongue, O Lord Jehovah, thou hast not known at all. Look at verse 5. Behold, behind and before thou hast besieged me, and thou dost place on me thy hand. What does the word besieged mean? It means to surround. It means to encircle you and create a blockade. Amen. Man, I, I, I start looking at this stuff and reading and meditating on it and saying, wow, <laughs> I'm in good hands. That's right. And I'm not talking about all state either. That's right. I'm not talking about an insurance company. That's right. I, I'm talking about God. I'm in good hands. You know, the enemy does come against us because that's his job. That's right. And his time is short, so that's going to step up in our lives. But to think that I'm being encircled by God, that, that, that God, he besets me. He, he, he hems me in. He encircles me. He gives me his reassuring presence. He besieges me. He causes a blockade like wagon trains around me spiritually. I don't know about you, but that was sort of a revelation to me to think that, wow, what, I do a lot of fretting. I do a lot of worrying. And I wake up the next day and nothing has changed. What, what am I doing? So I want to just redefine fear again for you. I want you to know this. Fear is a spirit. It's a spirit. And I'll show you that in a moment. It's a spirit who brings the following to you. Terror, dread, anxiety, sometimes horror, distress, fright, panic, alarm, trepidation, worry, concern, apprehension, being scared, Being afraid. Fear is a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, or pain, whether the threat is real or imagined. It's the feeling or condition of being afraid. Fear, listen to this, very important, negates God's word and says the opposite of what God has promised to us. Another great place to say amen. Fear negates God's word and says the opposite of what God has promised. Go to James chapter 1, verse 5. Fear causes us to waver and not agree with God's word. When the disciples were accusing Jesus of not caring, They were not in agreement. 
they were accusing, an accusatory spirit. And Jesus didn't take it from them. He said, where's your faith? He came right back at them. He did not let them off the hook. But he spoke to them. Where's your faith? You think I'm not in control? I told you to get in the boat. And when you started this journey with God, he said he'd go with you. He said the good work that he began in your life that he would complete. But we forget that along the way because storms come. That spirit brings anxiety and all these things to us. To try to melt our faith and wear us down to believe that God does not beset me. That God does not hem me in. That God does not encircle me. That God is not my reassuring presence. That God does not besiege me and create a blockade in my life against the powers of evil. This is exactly the enemy's game of deception. To get you not to believe God's word because it's a prototype. Because look what happened to Eve. Oh, did God say that? Did God really say that? Did God really say that if you eat of that, that you will die? Come on, Eve. He put a seed in her heart to deceive her. And that caused a cataclysmic explosion in the spirit world. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. God's not going to get on your case because you're asking for wisdom. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's the word of God. And this is when we get into controversy. When we become double-minded and don't agree with God's word. Because automatically when you don't agree with God's word, you're in controversy with him and with his word. And you're saying, he's lying. He's not telling you the truth. And you've been deceived by another spirit. Because it's the spirit of deception. Don't you remember when the disciples said, well, Lord, when are you coming back? So before Jesus told them what was going to happen in the world, he just simply said to them, let no man deceive you. Because that's one of the greatest weapons of the enemy to bring down the Christian church. It's deception. And the spirit of fear. If he can deceive us into believing that fear is greater than what God can do for us, we're double-minded. We're wavering. And what happens, the Bible says, when you waver, we become like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And you have seen it in your life when that sea has just tossed you and driven you. A restless spirit. Like you got to go somewhere. Like some other environment is going to change the situation. <laughs> it doesn't. Because it's still present. So what, what's God saying? He's saying, when I fear, it causes me to waver and get my mind off God. Just like Peter, when Jesus said, come, you can walk on the water. And Peter was a gung-ho disciple. He was a courageous, bold, rash man. And he said, Lord, if, if it's you, bid me to come. And he started walking on the water toward Jesus. As long as he looked at Jesus, he was fine. But as soon as he looked down, he started to sink. This is what God is saying to us this morning. Keep your mind on me. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. We allow the evil activity of Satan, powers, 
principalities, rulers, and spiritual wickedness. It's a four-tier hierarchy in the kingdom of darkness, which a lot of people don't even know, never have studied. It's four tiers. The Lord told us in Ephesians chapter 6, and it's those demon spirits that are attacking the church and its people in our country. Faith believes God while fear believes the enemy. I said faith believes God. But faith believing God is one thing. But when we allow that spirit of fear to come in, we believe we're done. I'll never get out of this. This is the end. He's got me. And what are we saying? We're not in agreement. Because the Bible says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now I'm going to throw a verse at you. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 10. I want you to look at this. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification. What does that mean? Listen, look at it. There are so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification. We must discern the voices. And ask yourself the question, when your mood begins to change, or you become fearful or fret about something, and you start to brood, is it bringing light, or is it bringing darkness? And therein lies your answer. If you entertain the darkness, it will overcome you. And not only will you be in a bad mood, but everybody around you will be in a bad mood. And when you see people running for the hills to get away from you, there's a reason why they're doing that. Because they're trying to stay in the pocket and in the secret place of the Most High God while you're being double-minded and allowing the spirit of darkness to come in. Listen, there's a lot of voices. And those voices come to us every day. Just look at commercials. They're always trying to convince you that their product is the best. You need this. This, take this pill. Put this lotion on. Put this stuff under your eyes and you get rid of the bags. How many times a day do you have to do that? Every day. <laughs> I mean, ask yourself a question. How many times a day do you have to put that stuff on? I mean, you're going to be in front of the mirror all day. No one's ever going to see you but yourself. Listen up. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, what God is saying is this. We have two choices. There's many voices in the world that wants to come and speak to us. There's many people that want to try to convince us of their stand. Especially religiously and spiritually. But God says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We must discern the voice that's speaking to us at that moment. We must discern our thoughts. Are they from God? Is God saying this to you right now? To me, this is like, wow. (laughs) Come on. This is so simple, but it goes over our heads. And then we wonder why we're in a tizzy. Most of the time, worrying about something that we cannot fix anyway. Okay. Short sermon this morning. I want to bring you to a most important part of the sermon. And if you haven't heard anything that I've said up to this point, I want you to really discern and hear the thoughts that the Lord gave me. When we don't agree with God's word, Torment enters 
and reveals itself in self-punishment. Self-punishment takes the form of stress, anxiety, fear, condemnation, guilt, and shame. Stay with me. I want to teach you something here that the Lord taught me this week. When we don't agree with God's word, torment, that's the word, enters and reveals itself in self-punishment. And self-punishment takes the form of stress, anxiety, fear, condemnation, guilt, and shame. Now there's good stress, and I'm not going to teach on that. There's books written on it. I'm not talking about good stress. I'm talking about bad stress. Because people go around saying, man, I'm stressed. I'm stressed. And, and what do you do when you're stressed? We usually run. We usually go to something that's not good. Because we're stressed. What does that mean? It means that spirit is ministering. And has a grip on us. And we're out of the pocket. And we're no longer allowing God to encircle us and surround us and create a blockade. We're on our own. It's like being in the rain without an umbrella. So I go to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. Look what it says. There is no fear in love, but perfect, fear, perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now a lot of people have read that verse and talked about that verse and we always say oh there's no fear in love what does that really mean what does it really mean no fear we said that fear is dread that which strikes terror I want you to think of no fear in a relationship very important where there is conflict there is dis dis dash disease Dis-ease. When there's conflict in a relationship and there's fear about love, because love is the bridge that two people must cross to have a relationship and not fear rejection or abandonment, isolation or whatever. Follow the thinking. When there is conflict, there is dis-ease. When there is conflict, there is uneasiness. Two not walking across the same bridge. There's disharmony. There is a block. There's an interruption. There's an interference between two hearts. Are you following? Amen. When there's fear in a relationship, it actually equals torment. Because the other person is tormented by not feeling loved and vice versa. So here's what the Lord says. It says, there's no fear in love, which means we should have no interruptions or interference with God or question him about our life. It's our cup. When we start to question and we get ourselves enveloped in fear, anxiety, stress, and all that, what we're really saying is, God doesn't love me. And as a result, there's dis-ease in my life and disharmony. And it's not God's fault, but it's my fault. Follow. There's no fear in love, but perfect love. What is perfect love? Something that's brought to its end. Something that wants nothing that's necessary to complete. In other words, when you know someone loves you, you don't need anything else. It's complete. You're not wondering. You're not hoping. You're not. It's like you know that person loves you. You feel complete. You feel assured. You feel like this love is now surrounding you in a reassuring way. And there's no threat or danger to your relationship. Once you allow fear to come in and trepidation and you start to question the relationship... Now you're in torment. I said, now you're in torment. I'm just giving you the word this morning. You can take with, with it what, what you want to do with it. I'm just sharing with you what, what God's saying. So he says this, there's no fear in love, but perfect love, 
When two hearts are together, when our heart is together with God, when, when heaven and earth meet, when our spirits are in sync with God and with one another, okay, it says, but perfect love does what? Casteth out what? Fear. And fear is torment. And what does it mean to cast out? It means to throw or let go of something without caring where it goes. Get out of here. It means to scatter, to throw, to cast. It means to give over to one's care, uncertain about the result. God, I can't do nothing about this terror. I can't do nothing about this fear. Lord, what's ever trying to interrupt my relationship with anyone, get rid of it. I don't care where it goes. Send it back to hell where it came from. Don't sign for the package. That's what God's saying. And I see so many people in torment. I see so many people stressed out of relationships. You know, when we were kids, you know, we we had girlfriends, but they, they weren't girlfriends like today. A lot of my friends in school were girls. They were friends. They, there was no nothing. But when we were younger kids, they used to do this thing. I, I don't even know how you could do it. They used to get a piece of paper, and uh, you could open it up, and he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me. And there, there was different sayings on it, you know? And, and, and we used to go around with those things in our pocket, and he loves me, she loves me, she loves me not. You know? we, were, we were kids. We were kids. You know? And, and, and you know, everybody wants love. And most of all, we want love from God. But when there's an interruption, when there's a friction, there becomes a silence. There becomes a dis-ease. There becomes a disharmony. So God says, perfect love, love casteth out fear. Out. It means out of the door. It means get out of here. Go away. But you know what? We entertain it. And that's what causes arguments. Because someone has to be right. Someone has to get the last word. Someone has to... This is what I want to tell you. You win the battle, but you lose the war. So what have we gained? God says perfect love casteth out fear because, now look at this word half. These words are important. Because fear hath torment. Follow the thinking. The word hath means to have and to hold in your hand. It means in the sense of wearing. It means to have and hold possession of the mind, and it refers to alarm and agitating emotions. Follow the thinking here. What is God saying? When you allow fear to come into your life and it turns into torment, what you're really doing is you're holding on to it. You're not letting it go. You're possessing it. You're saying, this is mine. And in the meantime, it's destroying a relationship possibly with God or with someone else. Torment is what? Torment is punishment. Torment is penalty. Torment means to lop or prune as trees. It means to restrain, to chastise, correct, to cause to be punished. Who in the world wants to punish themselves? But you see that every day. We see people in self-punishment every day. Because they don't love or understand love or have received the love from God or love from another human being. We were born to love and be loved. Are you following this? There's an interruption. And and that's why people are so messed up. You know, I used to tell people, they they used to ask me about drug addiction. What do you you think the cause of drug addiction is? I said, first of all, drug addiction is a symptom. Just like alcoholism is a symptom. I said, you know what an addict wants? Just like every human being. Wants to be loved. Oh, that's too simple, Rev. Chaplain, that's too simple. No, it's not. Every human being that's born in this world wants to love and be loved in return. A child wants to be loved. A child wants to be accepted. A child wants reassurance. A spouse wants to be reassured. A husband, a wife, a child, a parent. We all want reassurance. 
And most of all, we want reassurance from God. And when we make peace with God, we can make peace with ourselves. But the interruptions try to come into our lives because the enemy doesn't want us to have harmony with God. He doesn't want us to have an easy way with God. People are miserable. And they stay miserable. And all I can discern is spirits ministering. That's all it is. Because fear is a spirit. And the Bible says this. It says in 1 John 4, 8, 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear has torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. He that does what? He that feareth. Look at what this means. He that stays afraid. He's that struck with fear. He, the one that sees with alarm. Those startled by strange sights or occurrences. Those struck with amazement. To fear means to hesitate. People say, I have, I have fear of failure. It's that spirit that causes you to hesitate and not move in a direction that God is calling you to. It means, this, this blew my mind. When this word here, he that feareth, in the translation, it actually means this. To reverence, to venerate, to treat with deference or reverential obedience. We cannot allow fear to become a deity in our life. That's what people do. We embrace fear. We embrace condemnation. We embrace shame. We embrace guilt. We embrace dis-ease. We embrace disharmony. And we create it in our life like an idol god, like a deity. And it becomes our story. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you my story. Listen. Let God tell you his story and what he can do for you to get you out of your story and out of disharmony and out of dis-ease. Oh, come on, Pastor. That's just so simple. Is it really? Is it really? There's so much self-punishment going on in people's lives and even in Christians' lives. Because I asked... I, I don't know how many people in my lifetime I've heard them say these words to me. Pastor, reverend, chaplain, whatever you call me. Brother, just don't call me sister. Praise God. I am a man. Just had to say that. I know God's forgiven me. Okay, good start. But I can't forgive myself. So you know what I used to tell the girls in the prison church? Do you think you would feel better if I took you to the corner of this church and beat you with a stick? Oh, of course not, Pastor. I said, that's what you're doing to yourself. You're punishing yourself. You're living in condemnation. You're living in guilt. You're living in shame. And you're, you're carrying the bag with you. And you can go through a 90-day program and you can be off of drugs and alcohol or whatever, but you're going to leave and get on the bus with the same junk. And I don't want you to do that in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we're in church. And that's why God wants to free you and God wants to break the chains. Amen. It does you no good to walk out the doors and say, I'm clean and sober. Wonderful. God bless you. But as soon as you get on that bus, you're going to beat yourself up. Well, look at my, look at my kids. I, I've been away from my kids. And my, my mom is mad at us. And, and my dad, I disappointed my... Listen, stop. I used to try to tell him, stop. You're beating yourself up. It's not fair. Because God loves you. And what you've done, he's put into the sea of forgetfulness. I, I explain that almost every week to them. To get them to understand God's love, which sometimes we can't understand. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear because fear has torment and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. To me, this sermon this morning was like a revelation to me to start our journey on defeating fear. I don't want to have torment in my life. I don't want shame or guilt or disease or disharmony. I don't want that with God. That's the last person I want to have that with. I don't want to have that with people. I want to have harmony. I want to have ease. I, 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 don't, I don't want to be afraid to love. 
But if there's an interruption, if there's a break, it's a spirit that's speaking, that people are obeying, that people are yielding their members to, to cause that dis-ease and that disharmony. When the Bible says that he that feareth not is made perfect in love, what does that mean? It means we'll be affectionate. We'll have goodwill toward one another. There'll be benevolence to love, to feel and exhibit esteem and goodwill to a person. We'll encourage people. We'll say thank you. It means to prize and delight in human affection and divine love. So many people hold back. So many people have all these crazy thoughts in their head of why I can't love you right now. Wow, what's going on? There's many voices that are speaking. And those voices are taking us down and preventing us from crossing the bridge together. Crossing the bridge together. Heart and soul bound together. Knit together. That's the goal of the church. It's the goal of Christ. That every block, every building, every, every two by four spiritually will be in place. So I decided that I was going to end here with one verse and then say to you to be continued next week by the help and grace of God. Romans 8.15. It says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage. Look at the word. The spirit is a small s. God does not dignify the enemy. Right. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. This is the Lord speaking. But you have received the spirit. Look at the word. Capital S. The Holy Spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry. Abba. Father. I don't want to tell you there's great significance in those two words. Abba. Father. To be continued. God bless you. And thank you for listening.